Mamas podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Edie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Jess here with another episode of the Modern Moms podcast. Again, I say this every time and I and I reiterate it every time. I have a really special guest on today with for a really special topic. And I'm so excited to hear her thoughts and her professional opinion on the, the subject matter of mental health. So Shelby Leppin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So like I said, today's topic is going to be, you know, it's one of those that everybody has an opinion on. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, everyone has an opinion on. So again, I just want to preface this, this show as this is going to be meant to educate and empower you guys to take this information, take what resonates with you. If this is any of the topics that we touch on today, kind of touch a chord within you, or if you yourself are struggling with mental health, with most of us are in some capacity, doesn't have to be a severe struggle, but you know, the daily, daily grind struggles, then hopefully this information that we're talking about today can help just kind of empower you to make decisions or take the next step to improve your mental health. Right? Yes. I'm so excited. (laughs) And I'm, I'm used to people being triggered by the topics I talk about. It's pretty right. common that people get worked up about it. So well, yeah. but hopefully, hopefully it will be educational and informative. And even if you don't struggle with mental illness, maybe this will help you have more understanding and empathy for someone in your life who does. Absolutely. I didn't even think about that. Thank you for bringing that up. That is so, so true. So let me introduce Shelby a little bit before we dive into the topic, but Shelby has a master's degree in nursing with a specialty in mental health. She works as a nurse practitioner treating patients with depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, and other mental health disorders from a holistic perspective. She also runs a wellness business at shelbyleppin.com in which she empowers individuals to take charge of their health. She is also married with five children, ages 10, who are twins. Oh my word. I need to hear a little bit more about that experience. A nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a one-year-old. Oh my gosh, you've got like the full range there. Yes. So we adopted the twins just this month, actually. Oh Um, my gosh. Yes. And then our other two boys we adopted last year. So we've been, we started foster parenting in 2016 and so now we, we're officially full. We can't take any more kids because the state puts a limit on, you can only have five. And so I'm really thankful we were able to adopt the kids that were placed with us. At, that's not always the case. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I'm officially the mother of five children. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. I, I need to hear more about that at probably a different time because that will take like, you know, I'll have yes. a million questions. <laughs> yes, I, I could do, I could talk all day about oh that. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Thank you for that. I mean, just on a, like a, just this, this level that's like so much deeper than just like what probably that has done for your family, but like what that has done for like society in general, for you to take in those children and adopt them as your own and create a loving home. I'm just like, Oh, my heart is like 
melting a little bit. So thank you. Thank you. They, they keep me humble and they teach me a lot. Oh my gosh. Don't they? They always do. (laughs) Okay. So like I said, today we're going to deep dive into one of my favorite topics, which is mental health. I always seem to like gravitate toward the topics that like are just like a little bit charged just because I feel like they're so important. And I like to take away the stigma around talking about things like, like birthing and mental health, because I don't know about you, Shelby, but I feel like there's been a shift in the last, I don't know, couple of years, maybe this underlying shift where there's really been a push to take away the stigma from mental health and like celebrities and people that, you know, are like coming out and saying like, well, yeah, I struggle with anxiety or I've, I've been depressed or I struggle with that. And so it's been still not like just this fun topic that we like to talk about all the time, but I guess what I'm trying to say is just more accepted to speak out loud about. Do you feel that way? I think so. I, I get a little frustrated at times because I feel like we're most comfortable talking about it after someone has already committed suicide, mm. which in my opinion, it's like, this is a little late now. Like we shouldn't have been talking mm. about this like way sooner. Mm. However, I do, I do need to give credit that I think there is, and maybe it could just be the internet and people have more access to information. I don't really know, but I think there is a slow push for more people to be able to talk about it. I I still see people every day though, who are ashamed and feel embarrassed that they struggle with their mental health. Absolutely. And I guess I'm thinking in our little niche, like modern mama's niche, you know, I shared about postpartum depression and I share about like anxiety that I had since a little, since I was little and you know, I share about it because I feel like every time I do share about it, someone else comes to me and is like, hey, I went through that too. Or like, I've been there and I'm so glad you said that. I thought I was alone. And it's like, I feel like maybe Modern Mamas is a little bit more of a safe space, like the, the, the community that we've created. So maybe I'm a little bit biased on that topic too. I, I do think you're right though. When, when one person shares, it kind of opens the door to let the conversation start. And I think there's a lot of healing and even just sharing like, Hey, this is what I've dealt with before. Right. Exactly. So let's kind of dive in. Like I said, we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about some holistic strategies that you use in your practice to help manage mental health with your patients. But before we dive into that, I've got to, we've got to do an icebreaker. I love this question. If you could be a character in one movie, what movie would it be and why? When I saw this, I was like, ooh, I'm excited to answer this. So it took me a minute to pause and kind of reflect, but I really think I'd be Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter series. I was just thinking of like strong female characters in different stories that I've loved and read. And I think think that would be it because she she represents not letting the guys hold you back. Like she totally ran the show and was a part of the team that took down Voldemort. And I just, I loved it. So that much. is amazing. You know, it's so funny because I asked this question to Anne, our one of on our last podcast guests, and she said Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange. That's uh. a Harry Potter thing. I don't know. <laughs> I actually haven't thought about this question, so I need to like take some time, sit with it, and see what my answer is because those are really good choices. Both of those, awesome. That tells me a lot about you, which is great. <laughs> go ahead. You said you I, love- I love I love books. Oh my gosh, me too. Have you read all the Harry Potters? I'm assuming. Yes, I have. I've read Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Like, I just, I love all the things. All the things. Me too. Okay, so before we dive into the meat of the thing, 
why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you found your passion, how you got to where you are, like, why are you doing what you're doing now? Tell us all the things. Okay. I guess I would say my passion started when I was really young. I didn't know it at the time, but I, we'll talk about this a little more later, but there's different types of depression. There's like major depression. And then there's what we call dysthymia, which is a, it's still a depression. It's just the symptoms are a little less severe in how much they're interfering with your daily life, but, but the mood issues are still there. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, I had some of this just general unhappiness and sadness and kind of a, a darkness that just lingered with me through my childhood. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I didn't have a good childhood. A lot of people think like, Oh, if I didn't go through something hard, I don't have a right to feel depressed. And that's, that's not the case. Your mood is not always dictated by your circumstances. And so for me, I always wrestled with this kind of feeling worthless and some hopelessness and different things as I was growing up. And I was really drawn to helping others. Like when I was five years old, I watched this video of Florence Nightingale and was just like, wow, like she was helping soldiers who were sick. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I, I went into nursing. And when I finished nursing school, I was probably 40, 50 pounds overweight. I was depressed and anxious. I had been having panic attacks. Like my mental health was just awful. And I was really frustrated as I was working as a nurse because I felt like I wasn't able to really help people. I was, I worked in a hospital, so I was running around doing paperwork, giving medications. I did some education, which I enjoyed, but I just was unhappy with not being able to connect with my patients and help them in what I thought was a, a deeper a more sustainable way to help them. And so interestingly enough, this is kind of tied to our struggle with fertility. We hadn't been able to get pregnant. I'd been married for like two or three years at that point, And I was diagnosed with prediabetes. Mm. And so as I was trying to figure out, okay, I'm a nurse and I'm supposed to be able to help people, but I, I can't lose weight. I don't feel good. I have depression and anxiety. I, how am I supposed to help other people if I can't take care of myself? Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at different things in terms of exercise. And I found the place I found it from, it wasn't actually called paleo. It was like a grain-free, dairy-free diet mm -hmm. is how I was kind of educated about it. And after a few months of kind of learning and different things, I, I jumped in and did that. I got rid of all grains and all dairy out of my diet and really focused on having like a whole foods based diet. And that went on for probably eight months. I was also exercising consistently and really taking care of my mental health. And I was also getting some counseling too. Mm -hmm. And just between like that combination of everything, I found one, I, I lost the weight and I think my hormones stabilized for the first time in forever. And I, I woke up one day and was like, wow, like, I don't, I don't really feel depressed anymore. I don't really feel as anxious anymore. And it was mind blowing to me that the food I was eating and everything that I had in my life had actually worked to heal my body. And, and so through that process, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to figure out how to share this with other people. Like I, I was so excited and just couldn't believe that like I was able to overcome some things I had struggled with for so long. And so that's, that's how I got started. I, I was actually in 
grad school for my master's when I was kind of going through that whole process. I honestly, I call it a God thing because mm-hmm. just the timing of how everything worked together, it's pretty remarkable. Even if you don't believe in God, it just, it's, it's a very strong coincidence mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to refer to it that way. So now I'm working as a mental health nurse practitioner and I really, I don't want to say I've arrived yet. Uh, there's a ton of research that I'm still doing and learning and trying to figure out not just, okay, this is what needs to be done for people, but how to actually deliver it in a way that is accessible to everyone, not just a certain group of the population. Right. That is incredible. I, I love hearing your story. It sounds very, like a lot of what you say resonates with me too. And I'm so curious and I don't know, this is kind of off topic, but like, is there, have you done any research like about being a highly, highly empathic person or highly sensitive person? Or like, I wonder if some of these qualities ever correlate to like, what, what is your stance on those types of tests? Like Enneagram and like Myers-Briggs and like all that stuff. Do you see any correlations between like personality quote unquote types and like the propensity to like deeply feel or like move through life, like kind of more prone to maybe struggle a little bit? I would say that most mental health professionals struggle with mental health themselves. That's kind of a generalization, but from just what I've seen, we kind of have a savior complex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and so sometimes that can be a positive thing, but sometimes it takes us to a negative place where we take it upon ourselves to fix everyone. And that's not healthy. So part of one of the mentors I had, he was critical and he did a lot of counseling for me and he was really critical in helping me be clear on what my job is. Mm -hmm. And my job is not to save people Mm -hmm. that that is not my job. My job is to bring everyone the best Shelby possible Mm -hmm. and offer them the best tools and the best resources I have available to me. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I I have to honor their choices and their decisions and their autonomy essentially. Mm -hmm. And that has been probably one of the top five things I've learned in my life that has helped me be free and helped me actually help people without crossing boundaries and lines. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. And I'm, and I know that it's huge in like a therapist, like, or a patient, you know, healthcare practitioner relationship. But like, I think that even applies to life (laughs) relationships, you know, it's like, you're thinking about it in this way that you relate to your patients, but like, I'm thinking about it in the way that I relate to my spouse and my kiddos, you know, Mm -hmm. in certain times, it's like, I can bring the best person that I am to them every day. I can share with them the tools that I've learned in life and try and guide them. (laughs) But I can't, like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And that is a tough lesson to learn, especially as a parent. Right. And even as a spouse, too, it's like, what do you mean you don't want to do what I want you to do? <laughs> like, you right. you have a, you're a person with, like, autonomy? What? So, yeah, I just think that that is such a great insight and really good going into the meat of the episode where we're going to talk about different strategies where it's like, you know, we're going to present some some options, you know, potentially for people that, that might be struggling or for people who know people that might be struggling. But at the end of the day, it's it's information, just like any other information. And you have to go out and take the step and, and put it into practice if that's something that, that needs to happen. So, okay, great. I love it. Setting the stage is perfect. Do you want to jump in? 
Sure. Do you want to say I anything guess, before we dive in? I guess, uh, side note, I love what you just said. For me, it was very freeing when I realized that I am not ultimately responsible for my children's decisions. Mm. That was just something personally that was very freeing for me because for when I first got my kids, I felt like their every action was a direct reflection of me. And so I would take it really personally when they would mess up. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned that, no, they're, they're autonomous human beings. And my goal is to love them and teach them how to manage the consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. I, I became a way better parent because I wasn't trying to control them or, you know, it wasn't all about me anymore. So that's just that's a side note, but it's something that as a parent, I found very freeing. Oh my gosh. I actually am kind of like a little bit in tears right now because you don't like we've been struggling hardcore with our five-year-old and it's just, it's that it's like, he's in this, he's, he's not a baby anymore. He's five years old and he has opinions. He can read, he has interests. He has a personality that's very strong. And I love that about him, but it's also like very challenging for me who does want you know, I'm like, I'm not doing a good job because he's not listening or I'm not doing a good job right. because he made a bad decision, not, not bad decision, but he didn't make the decision that I wanted him to make essentially. So that's me putting labels on it as like, not a good decision. But, you know, of course there are certain decisions that just like, you know, that's not a good decision categorically, <laughs> but like, right. you know, it's like, but I'm taking that with me, the, mm. the, the guilt and the like shame that I feel, it's just me. It's not him. It's like, right. what am I doing wrong? So thank you for sharing that. That is incredible. And I know, you know, a lot of people probably struggle with that, or if they haven't gotten to that point yet, they will pass through that, those feelings at some point in parenthood. And that's huge. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's dive into the meat. So I'm so curious. I just want to like sit back and listen to you talk. I'm going to try and just kind of let you drop your knowledge bombs all over the place here today. But what is your idea of, you know, I'm doing air quotes. No one can see me, but holistic treatment for mental health, because, you know, it's there's so many options today. Right. And there's so many just feelings attached to different treatment options and like all of those types of like biases that we come to the table with. What is your idea of holistic treatment for mental health? So for me personally, and like you said, so many people throw this term around. So it is, it is good. I think to define it when I call my practice holistic, it's because I let my patient guide the direction of the treatment we use. But I also focus on not just the mind and and what's going on, but we also talk about the soul and the spirit as well as the physical body and mind. Mm -hmm. The tricky thing with mental health is that we're not just treating something physical going on. It's not like, you know, you get an infection, you take an antibiotic, it fixes it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not that simple. There are so many different factors that we have to look at that. And this is why I let patients guide me in the direction we go, because at the end of the day, no one knows your situation and your circumstances better than you. And I tell, I tell my patients this all the time because I really want to honor that you at the end of the day, you're the boss. This is your life. This is your ship. This is your situation. And I am here to help you, but I can only help you if you want me to help you. Mm -hmm. And that is how I start pretty much every conversation. There are a few exceptions because 
I do deal with serious mental illness. So there's are, there are a few situations where that is not the case, but I would say for 95% of cases, that is how I approach treatment. Gotcha. Do you have a lot of cases where it takes time for the person to accept that they want slash need the help? Does, does anybody come to you involuntarily? Yes. Um, and part of that is, is the place I work at. There are people who they're there because a spouse wants them to be there or maybe, you know, the law enforcement or child services wants them to be there. There's different situations like that. Mm -hmm. And those cases are a little tricky, but I still kind of have the same approach. I'm very blunt with sure you're forced to be here, but at the end of the day, if you don't want my help, I can't really help you. And I tell people that straight up. I'm like, you, you know what I mean? I I understand you have to be here, but I'm not going to make decisions until I have your input on this. And most of the time when I share that, then they'll, they kind of pause. I think it throws them off a little bit and they will reconsider because most of the time when they come to me, it's bad. Right. Like, and, and they, they need help because there's not a lot of mental health providers in our area. And so by the time they get to me, it's like the house is on fire and right. they need help putting it out. Gotcha. Okay. And so, and you, you mentioned like, I love your definition of holistic health. Actually, let's, let's, this is going to come up in the to- in topic. I'm skipping ahead. So I'll dive into the next question that I have here. So, so say, you know, a patient comes to you in your clinic or your place of work, what are some of the different strategies that you're going to employ with them from a holistic health perspective? What does that mean to you with patient care? I start by getting a really good history. The first, most of the time, my initial intakes are an hour. Sometimes I need two sessions, though, to get everything kind of pieced together. I, I look at their history. I look at their social history. Where did you grow up? Where were you raised? What was your childhood like? What types of trauma did you go through? Different things like that. I look at their medical history. Okay, have you had a seizure? Have you had surgeries? Have you had, have you been on different medications before? Things like that. And then I look at also their current symptoms. How are you sleeping? How are you, how's your appetite? What's your mood like most days? Are you having panic attacks? Are you having nightmares? And I kind of go through piece by piece to get a solid background on what's going on. So that's how I start. And then once once the once we're kind of working through that, and it it depends on what's going on with the patient. Because again, I really try to let the patient lead me on what what issues I want to address first. Because most of the time, you don't just come in with one problem. Mm-hmm. You'll come in with multiple problems. So I'll ask, okay, which problem is bothering you the most? And then from there, we'll address that issue. I would say the top areas are sleep problems, mood issues, and then just, I would say underlying issues. And I'll, I'll give an example of this. If someone has gone through something traumatic, that will start to cause other problems. Mm -hmm. So if you have a patient who already has depression or who already has bipolar, and then you add trauma on top of it, then you have multiple issues that you're going to have to address. And so the tricky thing is figuring out, okay, is this symptom caused by 
the trauma? Is it caused by anxiety? Is it caused by their depression? Is it caused by their ADHD? It could be a variety of things because your mental health symptoms don't fit into nice little boxes. Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out, okay, what is the underlying cause? What is the reason that these symptoms are happening? Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I'm sorry. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking of people in my own life and it, it, I love this topic too, because it, it also brings a little bit of like perspective and compassion for people that I know, like going through something and, and you realize it's not as simple as like, like you said, coming in, you have anxiety. Here is the exact, here's, here's the box for that. You take okay. this, take, go home, take it three times a day and you're going to be fine. Like it's not, it's not like that. So thank you for that perspective. So, so, but basically what you're saying is the strategy is going to be determined by the whole, the big picture. Is that kind of like what you are are getting at? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, I also try to figure out what the underlying issue is because sometimes if, if the underlying issue is trauma, then if we can, if I can focus on treating those symptoms, then it actually helps calm things enough to where we can figure out what other things are going on. The trick is though, you also have people who come in and they want you to treat a certain part of their mental health, but not the other parts of their mental health. And that's where my job gets incredibly difficult because I can have a patient who their primary complaint is anxiety. But as I'm going through their history, I realize "Mm, their anxiety is caused by the trauma they went through. But when they come to me, they don't want to deal with their trauma. They just want to get rid of the anxiety. And so then it it becomes a game of figuring out, okay, can I build their trust? Can I show them that I am safe so we can actually work through the underlying cause? Because I don't always have permission to go into the treatment areas that I think I need to. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And then you had mentioned also sleep as being a like sleep issues as being something that you work on. How important or where would you say sleep health falls in the perspective of of mental health in terms of like impact? It's, I would probably actually place it slightly above nutrition. The tricky part is if your nutrition's poor, your sleep is also going to be poor. So it's kind of hard to rank one in terms of the other. But if I can get an individual sleeping, then it is, it's like you can you can take the fire from like a full burn down to kind of a simmer and then you can actually take inventory of what's going on and address what needs to be addressed first. Absolutely. That makes so much sense to me. And it's like I was having this conversation with who was it? Somebody in my circle the other day and we're talking about sleep health and we're talking about and this is not like mental health, but I guess it kind of goes in that direction too, but it was like, you know, I wake up and I go work out every day at like 5.45 a.m. And mm-hmm. on the nights where I go to bed at 11, I have a decision to make. Like, am I going to, is it more beneficial for me to get up and go work out in the morning and only get like, you know, six-ish, six and a half hours of sleep? Or is it more beneficial for me to not go work out, stay, stay in bed, get a full seven to eight hours of sleep? And I almost always choose sleep because it's like, that's going to impact my mood the rest of my day. I'm my workout, you know, potentially where it's like, why did I go to that? It was pointless. I'm so tired um, Mm -hmm. type of thing. And so not necessarily the same like conclusion that you're drawing here, but just noting that like, I do feel like sleep is incredibly, incredibly important in terms of like 
the pillar of health because, I mean, it's it's when we repair. Our mind repairs. Our body mm-hmm. repairs and regenerates at night. Our skin, our digestion takes a break. It's like all those things. Our hormones kind of, you know, different things are happening on that level. So, anyways, I just wanted to reiterate that because I think sleep is so important. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. So if someone could do, and I know you have opinions on this question, and I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts. If someone could do one thing to make the biggest impact on their mental health, what would it be? Okay. I told you before, I have a little soapbox with this, so I'll try not to be too preachy, but I just feel so passionate about this topic because if someone, if there's one thing you could do to make your mental health better, it's stop letting other people decide for you what is best for you. Like stop letting other people's opinions of the treatment you use, of the choices you make, stop letting that determine what you do. And I see this all the time. My patients come in and they're terrified of using medications. And when I'll talk through, most of the time it's because they're worried people are going to judge them Mm -hmm. and they're worried that they'll become addicted. And, And both of those are valid concerns. And so when I'm talking to my patients, I... I rarely, if ever, push medications, but I tell my patients, medications are a tool for you to choose to use or not. But then I also educate them on not using medications doesn't mean that we're we're scot-free. There are studies that show that untreated depression for a variety of people, but I think moms in particular, affects the kids as well. Mm. So just because you choose not to take a medication doesn't mean that we've solved the problem. Mm -hmm. And so if, if a patient comes to me and, and as we're talking, I I will make a recommendation. I'll say, Hey, I think you should strongly consider this. And here's why I will never pressure them into it, but I will make sure they know that they, they're all, all the options are on the table Mm -hmm. because most of the time, if someone's dealing with depression, they're treating it in another way if they're not using medication. Sometimes they use alcohol or drugs or other substances. Sometimes they just use coping skills that it's it's essentially ruining their life. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it just, there is always a cost to the decisions we make. And so if you're going to choose not to med- use medication, that's totally fine. But that should not be because someone else is judging you or makes you feel bad about using that as a tool. Mm-hmm. And I, I equate medications to the other tools I use, mm-hmm. education about sleep, education about nutrition, all of that. It, it all goes into a toolbox and we, we sometimes need different tools for different problems and different jobs in our life. And so if you could do one thing for your mental health, stop letting everyone else decide what you should do for your mental health. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I I think that's a perfect answer. And I think, you know, especially as mamas, a lot of our listeners are mamas or, you know, even, even females. And this is a a broad generalization. It's like, we oftentimes defer almost all of our life decisions to what does someone else think in my life? And it's not to say you can't seek out opinions and advice from people that you know and trust, but it's like, ultimately we've kind of lost touch a little bit with like our own wants and needs and intuition about those types of decisions. And I think it can be so powerful when we start to take that back. And like, it just, just like what you said, especially for mental health, when you stop 
having that extra little voice in your head that somebody else in your life that's like, you shouldn't do that, or you should do this, or the shoulds are the worst. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of, when you can kind of quiet that little voice, it really, I don't know, it's kind of life changing. (laughs) Right, it is. And, And I don't understand this thought of where people think they have a right to judge other people's decisions. Because it's like, if someone had cancer, would you look at them and go, oh, you shouldn't do that? Or if someone had diabetes, would you be like, why are you taking medication? It's like, no, that doesn't apply to physical health problems. But for some reason with mental health issues, people feel like they have the right to say, oh, have you tried everything else first? And it just, it it infuriates me because you are heaping guilt and shame on someone who is already suffering enough. Trust me. Right. Yes. There's nothing you can say essentially that they haven't already like thought about themselves probably or like considered right. themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. I love that. That's incredible. So talk to us a little bit more about depression and anxiety. I feel like these diagnoses are getting a little bit more and more common. Maybe not they're getting more common, but they're kind of more at the forefront of discussion. I'm not sure if it's like just the stigma around mental health is lifting or more people are talking about their issues, but do you think there is a research-based reason or in your experience behind the rise in like depression and anxiety? Or maybe I'm totally off and there isn't a rise in depression and anxiety, but I feel like I've, I feel like that's the general feeling. Right. You are correct. There is a rise with those disorders. There's a significant rise among children actually. Mm. So let me just do a little defining for our audience. It's estimated that in the United States, approximately 16.2 million adults, not counting children, just adults, have had at least one major depressive episode. And like I said earlier, there are different types of depression. So how we define major depression is a period of two weeks or longer during which there's either a depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure, and at least four of these other symptoms that are a change in baseline functioning. So this would be problems with sleep, eating, energy, concentration, self-image, or also recurrent thoughts of death or suicide. So like I said, there's, there's different types of depression, but major depression is one of the more serious ones. And it, it's essentially like if someone was holding your head underwater and you were flailing and trying to get up, but you could not get up. Like that's, that's how it feels to be depressed. And so when, when people say snap out of it, that's not a thing. You cannot just snap out of a major depression. It is, it is a very heavy, persistent darkness. And then anxiety is also actually more prevalent. It's estimated that 31 ish percent of the U S population has experienced some sort of anxiety disorder during their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And anxiety can look different. It can be generalized anxiety, panic disorder, where you're having panic attacks, social anxiety, you know, you're scared to go outside, you're scared to be around people and things like that. So there's, there's different types in that category of anxiety. And then to answer your question, you know, is, are the rates rising? They are, they are rising. And, and that could be because the number of mental health providers is insufficient to treat Mm. the disorders that are going on. It's estimated that around like, I want to say one third of patients with major depression, major depressive disorder are, are go untreated. And so when something goes untreated, you then have an effect where the people around that individual 
have a higher risk of developing those mental health disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give an example. If you know you had a parent who grew up with untreated bipolar, untreated depression, most of the cases that I've seen, the kids are far more likely to develop those disorders themselves. So is that you had mentioned in the beginning that we're seeing a rise in children and these mental health issues. Is that your hypothesis as to why that we're seeing an increase with children is that the people around them are also dealing with untreated mental health? That's my personal opinion. I don't have research to back that up, but, but I, as I was looking through the literature, I couldn't find a strong sense of it's, and that's why it's so difficult because it's not just one thing, Mm. you know, it could, it could be some contributing factors could be our food quality, the violence in our world, the stress of, you know, they're exposed to more technology and just different pressures. And you know what I mean? There's just so many factors you could look at, but that's one theory that I have, I guess. Yeah, no. And I, I know that's kind of a loaded question. It's like, tell me why, but like, there's so many different facets of it. And it, cause I think it makes me a little bit, and I know I'll probably a lot of parents yourself included. It's like, what can I do to like? I know this statistic. I know that that probably our children are more at risk for mental health disorders than they've ever been. But like, how can I protect them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, well, number one, take care of yourself. I'm sure that's. It. I mean, I'm. I'm. This is my own like kind of processing I'm doing as you're you're talking. But if I'm healthy, they're more likely to be healthy in terms of like mental health. And I, I don't know that there's, it's like you kind of, it makes me want to just like retreat into like the countryside and never like turn on the TV again. But right. I know that's probably not realistic. And it's like, okay, so how do we offset this with, right. our, with our children and our families? You know, I don't know that there's so an as Well, as a parent, I, I totally get your gut responses. Oh, okay, I'm just going to wrap them in bubble wrap and stick them in a closet and they're never going to go anywhere. <laughs> but as I found what has helped me is to be okay when they express their emotions. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I struggle with and I'm constantly working on and trying to get better at. But my kids have been through some hard things. Mm-hmm. And so I am trying to learn how to let them express their emotions and not, not respond negatively to that, not judge that, like just be in that moment and let them feel how they're feeling. If they're feeling angry, let them be angry. If they're feeling sad, let them be sad. And, and to let them do that without judgment or me having to dictate what's going on, because I'll tell you, one of my mentors explained this to me and it really blew my mind. He defined emotional abuse as wanting to control someone else's emotions. Mm -hmm. And that hit me in the gut hard because I was like, Oh no, like I've been hurting my children because as a parent, we don't ever want our kids to, you know, be afraid or be depressed or be upset. But, but emotions inherently aren't bad. Mm-hmm. Emotions are amoral. They're, it's like money. It, it's not, there's nothing about an emotion that's wrong. And that's, I think, where the struggle is because you have to be okay with letting someone feel deeply mm-hmm. and still be present with them. But as a parent, you're also navigating, okay, is this to the point where it's becoming a problem? Do you know what I mean? If your kid is waking up every single day and they're irritable and they're anxious and they're on edge every single day. Mm -hmm. Hmm. 
that's probably something that you need to get some extra help with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if just in their day to day, if they're, you know, if they have times they're irritable, if they have times they're happy, if they have times they're sad, that's normal. Yeah. And so just let them, let them feel those emotions and, and not don't regulate them. Does that make sense? Yes. That makes perfect sense. I'm right. Taking copious amounts of notes for my own personal benefit. I love that so much. Okay. We pretty much tackled that. I think from a really well-rounded perspective. Hi friends, Laura here with some exciting news. Four Sigmatic has come on as a Modern Mamas podcast sponsor. We are so excited. If you've been following along with my Instagram stories, especially you've seen that I use this stuff every single morning. The Lion's Mane Elixir is my absolute favorite. I add it to my boosted coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity, and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like Rishi for calming, Cordyceps for an energy boost, and Chaga for an immune boost. Along with those elixirs, they also have really cool blends. I love the Lion's Mane and Coffee blend when I travel because I don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high quality coffee. I have it ready to go. All you need is hot water, you mix in the blend and you're set. They have caffeine free options as well, like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow and all, they have all kinds of incredible blends. I cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website Find whatever mushroom blend is going to fit with your lifestyle and give it a try. The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners, you guys are special, you get 15% off any order. If you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash modern mamas or simply type in modern mamas, all lowercase, all one word at checkout, you get 15% off. Check it out, see what fits your life, and happy shrooming. Now we're going to go into some more specifics, but what are your most effective ways in general that you found to treat depression and anxiety? And there might not be a, these are my favorite ways, but like, cause I know it can be multifaceted, but what have you seen to be effective from a holistic standpoint? The first one, honestly, is one you can't really quantify. It's hope. Mm. If, if I can sit down with a person and let them share, a lot of times they'll share some pretty painful deep, dark secrets that they've been carrying around. Mm -hmm. And most of the time I sit there and listen. Sometimes I will react, but I, I tend to limit my reactions because I want to let the patient present the information as clearly as they can without my opinions influencing what they're sharing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I will sit and listen and try to really put myself in their shoes and get a picture of what they've been through. And then at the, towards the end, I try to offer them some hope Mm. and hope can look different for everyone. But if I can pass on to them, even the tiniest bit of hope, it's amazing how resilient people's souls are. Mm. It, it, it'll just blow your mind. The difference, just the, the tiniest bit of hope can make in someone's mood and just, just what we can do going forward. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I, and thinking about that in my own life as well, I know that to be true innately. So that's incredible. Do you feel like people come to you, you know, when they come to you with symptoms of depression or anxiety, do you feel like this is something that people are, this is a loaded question too, that they're born with, or that this is something that can onset with a person at any point in life, even if they've had no previous symptoms. Like, you know, I'm thinking of, 
people that have always been quote unquote happy go lucky and never had any problems. And then one day you, you know, wake up and find later, like they've been struggling all along, or maybe they just started struggling in parenthood or, you know, whatever. What are your thoughts on that? So I would argue that there are certain dispositions that are more prone to depression and anxiety, but I, I wouldn't say that it's something you're born with because mm. I, I think there's certain personality types that are just generally more resist, resilient. I said resistant, but <laughs> resilient to different stressors. You have mm-hmm. personality types that they're more of a fighter. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that that necessarily dictates whether or not they struggle with anxiety or depression, but I think it does dictate their odds of having a good prognosis, I guess. Mm-hmm. That makes because, sense. And, and sometimes that's what I try to pass on to people is, is just that fighter mindset of you have strength, then they might not see it. But most of the time I, I can look at a person's life and go, wow, like you survived that and this, and you brought this to the table. I can't believe you're like standing right now. Do you know what I mean? And so I try to identify what strengths they're bringing to the table and, and show those to my patients. And sometimes they don't want to see it. It's, it's too painful to look at it first, but that is kind of a strategy I use to help people. That's incredible. I, I love that too. Strength and hope, two wonderful concepts that I think are more powerful than we actually ever realized. Okay, so let's talk about, up until this point, we've kind of been pretty general with mental health. Let's talk about mama specifically, since this is a large part of our audience, mamas or people who know mamas, love them, support them. What do you see as the biggest struggle in terms of mental health for women in this, like, this crucial point in their lives, the motherhood transition? They're about, maybe they're thinking about getting pregnant, they're trying to, or they're already in the pregnancy or parenting phases. What do you see commonly with women in this phase that is, is, you know, kind of contributes to their mental health? I think with moms, the biggest thing is I see is just mom guilt is, is so real. And I think it starts even before the baby's born. I struggled with infertility for years. And so for the longest time it was, well, I'm doing something wrong because we can't get pregnant. I'm doing this and that. So that's why, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not deserving of this blessing. And immediately, like the guilt, you just pour it on yourself mm-hmm. and before your child even is in the world. And I think sometimes that can carry into pregnancy because we're told, oh, don't eat this, do eat that, that sort of thing. And, and I, I'm not saying that's not valid. I think we should pay attention to our diet. But I think sometimes with moms, it, mental health is such a struggle because we're constantly criticizing ourselves mm-hmm. instead of recognizing what we're doing well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's where the issues start. It, it's you beat yourself up before anyone else has the chance to. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's been kind of a journey of graciously acknowledging like, this is what I'm struggling with, but realizing like most of the time when I'm struggling with certain issues of parenting, it's because it's an issue for me. It's not really an issue with my kids. And so I've gotten a lot of counseling to work on myself. And that has made me a far better parent because the more, whenever I'm triggered by something my kids do, it's never because of my kids. It's always because it's something, you know, in my childhood or something that I 
haven't resolved. And most of the time I didn't even know it was there. Right. <laughs> kids, kids have a gift of bringing that, that out, that stress <laughs> yes. and that turmoil. So I think to start, moms should just give themselves permission to not have it all together mm-hmm. and then take steps to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Because mamas, if you are not taking care of yourself, you you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. And I think, and I, you mentioned this earlier, Jess, I think they get in this space of, I'm just going to give, give, give. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually you're going to run out of something to give. And then that's where it's easy to get resentful of just the stress you have in your life. Right. Absolutely. I resonate with that 100%. And I, I also think as women, you know, whether you're through, you become a mother through adoption or, you know, however you become a mama, that when you first start thinking about, I want children in in whatever capacity, it's the first, like for me, I'm speaking from personal experience. It was really the first time I was challenged to think about really truly care and think about someone other than myself, which is where the guilt and the like, I don't know, it's where the guilt kind of crept in where, because it was like, I can do I cannot eat well and not sleep well. And it's just affecting me, right? Like before mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of myself before. And then the moment I start thinking about this other person, you know, even before you know who they are, that's going to come into your life. It's like everything becomes less about you and more about them. And I think that's such a hard, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody, but it's such a hard balance to find like where yourself, where you're, like identity is and how it is wrapped up into the identity and the behavior of your children um, almost Mm. immediately (laughs) when you start thinking about get, you know, having children. And it's, it's hard because it's so as a mama, so like feels like it's so intertwined. you know what I mean? Like it's knots and ropes and like you and this person, other person are so linked to like, it's kind of crazy to like be able to work through the process where it's like, yes, this, this person is, I love this person, you know, more than anything in the world. Like I, they are my life. I'm invested in them and their happiness, but also being able to be like, but I am also a separate person and important as well. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then like take yes. care of your own self. I don't know. That's kind of like rambling thoughts, but like something that no. I've been thinking a lot in my own life, you know, it's just like, yeah. really. And especially as your children, as you start to see them as individuals, I mean, not that they aren't individuals when they are, babies and newborns but like when they really become vocal and able to like make a decision that is not in line with what you want them to do it starts to really challenge those feelings a lot so anyways rambling again but I totally I I understand all the things that you were talking about you know from from the mom to the self-care to all of that and I so my youngest is 15 months now and I have to say that I feel like I'm coming out of a fog (laughs) like the first year when they come out it's just like hmm let's just get through this day and it's and it's wonderful it's not a bad thing but there definitely is a a layer of physical stress on top of that Mm -hmm. and so I would just encourage moms a, a few things and I use this for all my patients not just moms prioritize sleep and use whatever resources you need to help yourself get to sleep. Mm-hmm. I remember when 
my, my youngest is Tobias. When he was first born, my sister came and stayed and she just, she would stay up till midnight just holding him and I would pass out and go to sleep. And that was the self-care I needed to, to really take care of myself. The other thing too is getting like your vitamin D checked. I know you're, aren't you in Texas? Yes. Okay. So this might not be as prevalent, you know, the closer to the border you are, but I live in Northeast Missouri. And so everyone has low vitamin D and that's linked to problems with mood and fatigue and metabolic issues and just all sorts of things. So I always check people's vitamin D and I check their B12 level and get those checked because if you have those vitamin deficiencies on top of everything else going on, it's just going to really put a stress on your mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And that, those are like probably the two supplements that I'm most regular with, even though, even though we're in Texas, it's like, I work from home. I spend a lot of time inside. It's like, especially in the winter where it's like, uh, I don't want to go outside. It's too chilly. I mean, it's not that bad in Texas. I can't complain. People in the Northeast are probably like, what are you talking about? It's 60 <laughs> degrees there. <laughs> but yeah, those are probably the two supplements or the two, like I, I try and make a point to get that, those two things through food-based through my diet, like consistently, if I'm not doing anything else, those are the two things I'm most aware of. And I think you're right. They do make a pretty significant impact on my mood personally. So that Mm kind of leads us into like the practical strategy. So kind of, kind of to wrap up this, we do have one listener question that's really good that we'll end with, but like for mamas specifically, you know, what are some things that they can start practically integrating into their lives during times of stress? And I would say that Pregnancy, preconception, and motherhood, parenting is a can be a time of stress. Not not stress in the way that's like, oh my god, I'm just freaking out daily, but just like low key. There's some like, you know, challenges throughout your day to day that could result in some some mental health stuff. So, what can mm-hmm. Mama start to do? You touched on it, like self care and getting tested. And um, do you have anything else that you would suggest? So, I. Hormones for women, it's hard because if our hormones are off, our mood is going to be off. And I I really think we haven't done enough research on this to really get a full idea of what's going on. But I think if your your periods you're regular and and you have you know acne and and different hormone issues going on, like that's something I would definitely get checked out. And that's something that is going to require more work than just taking a supplement. There are really good resources out there around hormones. And so I think if you have any sign that, you know, you're feeling off, something's weird. I generally screen people for problems with their thyroid. And then I just kind of talk to them about their periods and their hormonal health and what's going on with that. Because I think that plays a key role in, in what's going on. And the postpartum period is tricky because everything's changing so rapidly anyway, that it's, it's probably going to be hard to pinpoint exactly what the problem is. So giving yourself a little grace to, you know, maybe not feel your best for a little bit and be okay with that. Like that's okay because Mm -hmm. you just had a baby and your, you know, your body needs to kind of adjust. But I, I think for women specifically, hormone health is huge, getting their vitamin levels checked, making sure you're eating enough. Cause as a mom, I struggle sometimes to eat. And that's just because like I get busy and doing other things and I'm like, Oh, I, you know, it's two o'clock and I haven't eaten anything or, you know, I'm snacking on a bag of chips because literally that's all I have time to grab because the baby's screaming. Right. Right. Um, So those are kind of my top things. Good sleep, hormone health, vitamin levels, 
and also just having someone to talk to. I mean, I get counseling. I was getting it regularly. Now it's more kind of as needed, but I just, I think finding someone, and I always tell my patients, counseling is about finding someone that you can trust and you connect with on a personal level because it's, it's not just scientific. It's someone that you need to be able to share your stuff with and feel safe. And that's when counseling is actually effective. That's incredible. Do you have any, okay, I'm going to save that for the end. I love that. And this has been so great. We do have one listener question that I'm, I'm really, I'm curious to hear what you have to say, but this, and most of the other listener questions, I just kind of rolled into the general like questions that we've been going through, but this one was a little bit different. So I kind of sussed it out, but she wants to know strategies for retraining the brain. Once your body has become accustomed to debilitating anxiety, it's like something has shifted, but, and she needs it to shift back. So I don't know yes. if you've encountered this or I'm sure you have thoughts on it. What would you say to someone struggling with this? That is a fabulous question. So when you have anxiety, specifically panic disorder, your body is reacting in what we call a maladaptive way. I'm sure you've talked about this, but we have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is our fight or flight response. It's where, you know, if a bear is chasing you, you're going to run away. You, you, you will be safe. So when our bodies is, when our stress level is so high that we're actually having panic attacks, our, our body is trying to adjust to the stress, but it's doing so in a counterproductive manner. Mm-hmm. And so the medications can help with anxiety some, but really long-term, the best treatment for anxiety is counseling. And I, I would need to know a little more specifics on what type of counseling, but there's counseling specific for trauma. There's counseling specific for, you know, like social phobia. You, you kind of need to find a, a type of counseling that has the best research for whatever type of anxiety you're dealing with. And you, you were spot on. There is a retraining that happens where you kind of press into the anxiety mm-hmm. and as you do that and you work that muscle, the anxiety will get less. But is it fun? No, oh <laughs> not not at all. And that's why I'm a big advocate of using all the tools necessary because, you know, I think with, with situations like that, we need all hands on deck. Sometimes we need medication and counseling and nutrition and all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I can imagine that is a very scary thought for someone who's struggling with that to actually lean into it. You know, it's like with anything, if you have a phobia of the outdoors, like sometimes going outdoors, pushing yourself through that is part of part of the way to work through it. I love this, this saying, it's like the only way to get to the other side is to go through something, right? Like you can't just like avoid it, like walk around it, like tiptoe. It's like, sometimes you just kind of have to like head on deal with it. Right. And it's kind of like, and that's where, go ahead. Go ahead. No, working Working with a mental health professional is key because you want someone on your team and advocating for you that can help you navigate some of those resources. And that's why when I meet patients the first time, I don't always bring up diet on the first visit because if you are crazy depressed, you don't have time or energy to think about your diet right right now. You're just trying, you're just happy that you got to the appointment. Does that make sense? So you really need to meet people where they're at. Mm. Uh, and then walk with them on their journey back to better health. 
Oh my gosh, that is so powerful. That's I, I mean that is that is so true. I mean I can imagine someone coming in where it was just a struggle to get get dressed and get out of bed in the morning. It's like then you start throwing like okay you need to ditch all your grains and all your gluten and all the dairy and sugar and and that can be a big barrier to even taking the the next right step forward because that that's overwhelming to anyone. That's overwhelming right. even if you don't aren't struggling with depression or anxiety. I love that so much and I think. Gosh, I wish you were close to me because then I would be like, "Hey, you want to be my therapist?" <laughs> I'd be like, or you want to be, you want to help me through this process? I feel like finding a person exactly like you said, who's there to guide you and meet you where you are is is key. And that is that is. On that note, that's kind of like wrapping up the whole the whole episode. Tell us a little bit about where we can find you, how to connect with you. Do you work with patients? You know not necessarily in person, like what's, what are your, what, where can we stalk you? <laughs> yes. So on Instagram, my handle is Shelby Lapine, L-E-P-P-I-N underscore renew, R-E-N-E-W. That is probably my favorite social media platform. So that's where I put my, my top things. They can also find me on shelbylapine.com. I am working in a clinic treating patients. I work about 20 hours a week. And so that would be for people who are having depression and anxiety. I do offer telehealth. My preference is to do in-person visits on the first visit. However, if you any of your listeners are wanting more of a, what I call wellness consult, and that's something where, you know, I, I don't have serious quote unquote, you know, like anxiety that I can't get out of bed or depression that I can't get through my day, but I'm just struggling in the day to day. And I'd like to know how to make my mental health better. I do virtual consulting with that on, and people can see that more information on that on my website. And I I walk them through the same thing I do in my other appointments where I, I get a history, I figure out what's going on. And then I say, okay, you have these issues. Here are the tools and the resources I would recommend you take a look at. And I help you, kind of walk through how to navigate that because there's so much information out there that breaking it down in a simplified way, I think is huge for helping people. Absolutely. It's just like, it's almost like or paralysis by analysis. Sometimes it's like, there's all these Mm -hmm. things I can do. I'm just not going to do anything with it because I don't know what to do first. That's incredible. If someone's like, okay, I have got a little bit more serious issues. Maybe that doesn't fit with what they need. What do you have any like favorite resources in terms of like locating a professional that's like in their area? I don't know if there's like a, a database or a, or a website or something that would help our listeners navigate finding a therapist. Yes. So I, I am not a psychiatrist. I, I'm not a doctor. I, I honestly don't want to be a doctor. Doctors are great, but they have a lot of work they have to put in and a lot of pressure. So finding a psychiatrist, there is a very, real shortage of psychiatrists in the area. So you can look at their, I forget what the website is called, but just Google like the American Associated Association of Psychiatry. And there should be a database there. For my specialty nurse practitioners, you can go to just Google psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners. And there is a database that will come up that they can type in their address and they can, it'll point them to, you know, the closest one to their area. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. And I just realized I said your, your last name wrong in the beginning. I I always ask normally, do you get that a lot? 
I do. Yeah. I, I honestly, it doesn't even really face me. Okay. <laughs> now I know moving forward. Thank you so much, Shelby, for being on here. So, so powerful and impactful. And I hope that it empowers our listeners to take the next step for themselves, or if they recognize someone in their lives who might need someone to talk to or some strategies in their own life that it empowers them to pass on the information. Because just like you said, you can't make someone do something that they're not ready for or they're not willing to do themselves. But thank you again. Thank you. I really enjoyed being on. (laughs) Me too. So as always, if you guys love what you're listening to, please rate us and review us on iTunes. That's how we can get more people the information that we're sharing. You know, we can grow that audience and, and help more people. You can find us on social media at jess.holdthespace and at laura.radicalroots and you can email us with any questions or ideas for interviews at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com thanks guys we'll see you next time bye thanks for listening to our podcast see you next time